0: Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peak and welcome to episode 337 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life and today her sweat. <laughs> I know you're like heads Has Dr. Peake lost her mind? No, she's just sweating right through this. You're going to absolutely love this episode. Before we begin, just know that this episode is actually made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to SmartyPantsVitamins.com. And here's your reminder to click on iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show. I know you're gonna have some great ideas. Oh my gosh, I just love hearing from you and reviewing all of your feedback. So that's your first reminder to hit that rate and review. I'll give you another one a little later on. All right, it's time for her. The podcast, the naked truth about women, her mind, her body, her life. It's all about her. So I'm just like cruising along and I read this amazing book review of a book that I think you're going to find so ridiculously novel um, that it is just a go out and buy book. It's called The Joy of Sweat. The strange science behind perspiration, um, she says as she slaps on her, you know, underarm deodorant. All right, so what the heck? And then as I'm reading, I, I understand that the author is pretty damn cool. Sarah Eberts is an award winning science journalist and speaker. She's got a master's degree in chemistry. I had to, you know, just sort of take a deep breath with that one. It's like, Oh my gosh, you know, brought back PTSD from every chemistry test I've ever taken and has written for Scientific American, Smithsonian, New Scientist, which is by the way, one of my most favorite mags, um, and The Economist. And she teaches journalism at Carleton University and lives in Ottawa, Canada. So Sarah, welcome to the Herb Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, are you just calling me from Ottawa?
1: No, actually, I'm calling you from Montreal. I'm on my way to New York and uh, made a little
0: pit stop here. It's uh, my favorite city in Canada. Oh my gosh. I love, I mean, with all due respect to Ottawa, uh, with all, I just absolutely love Montreal and it's just a quick drop down to get to New York. So, um, how cool is that? So I hope you're having a tremendous amount of fun, um, in one of my most favorite places. All right. The big question, why in the hell did you write this book? just like, what the, I mean, I just love it. And the cover is so cool. It it has these big words, you know, the joy of sweat and big, huge monster, you know, Jurassic font. And then there's sweat all over the, you know, cover, which is just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So why'd you write it? Yeah, I know it's a
1: little bit of a strange topic, but you know, I kind of went through life being slightly mortified by my own sweat, Um, a little bit worried that I might sweat too much. Um, When I'm doing a workout, I'm grabbing the towel during the warm-up. I'm also a science journalist, and so I knew that evolutionary biologists count bountiful sweating as one of the amazing things that distinguishes humans in the animal kingdom. It's one of our superpowers. It's helped us dominate the natural world, well, for better or for worse. And so I thought, okay, listen, I need to dig into this and find some serenity instead of shame in all the sweating that I certainly do.
0: Oh, you scientist, you. You know, I mean, here you are, and you're like, hell, I didn't get a you know master's degree in chemistry for nothing. So I'm going to look at my own chemicals. All right. So let, let's sort of dive into some what, what are some of the biggest, you know, myths about uh, the whole gig with sweat? I mean, there, there's just so many in your book. I don't even know where to begin. But, you know, it's just, uh, what are some of the misunderstandings about sweat? So the biggest one that I encounter
1: almost every day is the detox myth. This is this idea that we get rid of the nasty stuff in our bodies by sweating. And, you know, every spa, almost every gym has these claims, you know, come and, you know, get your sweaty detox. Well, the funny thing is, is if you know how the human body works, that's a really bad idea um, because sweat is actually sourced from the watery parts of blood. So when your body gets hot and it needs to cool down, uh, it pushes its your veins up against the surface of your skin. That's why you know people with light skin turn red because all their veins are there, and the veins are swooshing hot blood from your interior past the surface of your skin, where sweat released by your millions of sweat glands is evaporating away your body heat and effectively taking your body heat and whisking it out into the atmosphere, and. It's sourcing, all these sweat glands are sourcing perspiration from the watery parts of blood. So it's pretty much blood minus the big stuff like red blood cells and platelets and immune cells. And so if you detoxed by sweating, you would literally have to sweat out all the watery parts of your blood in order to get the bad stuff in blood out. And, you know, that is a terrible idea, because if you got rid of all the watery parts of blood, then you would be dehydrated and likely dead. Instead, you know, you have two kidneys, and these kidneys filter the crap out of your blood and dispatch that out in pee. And anything that's coming out in sweat is just incidental. It happens to be swirling around in your circulatory system. So like, good stuff comes out in sweat stuff you wouldn't want to lose like vitamins and hormones and glucose. That's your body's energy molecule. Um, and also, you know, bad stuff comes out too, like urea or heavy metals, but it's just coming out, you know, incidentally, it just happens to be swirling through your system and it would likely get filtered out um, through your kidneys. So yeah, the detox method, not true, um, and definitely not a good idea if it was.
0: Oh my gosh, you know, I hear this all the time um, as a physician, uh, when when people say, you know, it's time to detox your body. I'm like, wait a minute, first of all, you're insulting You're insulting your body like it doesn't know how to do this already? What the hell is wrong with you people? You know, so what's the kidney sitting there just like, you know, twiddling its hey, thumbs? Hey, what about going, me? Well, yeah, man, and, and how about the liver? Come on now, you know, it just sits there going, ah, whatever, you know, let's just let whatever fly through. I mean, for crying out loud. And then, of course, I get all these questions about colonics and, you know, um, draconian ways to get that, you know, nasty stuff out of you that I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is absolutely a thorn in my side. Every time I hear that detox thing, Um, let the body do what the body knows how to do. I mean, it is perfectly capable. Leave it the heck alone. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that being said, when people go into a sauna, when people, you know, do that whole thing, you know, like we're gonna sweat it out. Um, But saunas are good for other things. So what the hell is a sauna good for? If it's not (laughs) to sweat in, help me with this. Well,
1: what do you think? Yeah, sure. So, I mean... There is so much um, historical and cultural, you know, love of sweating, whether it is, you know, working out as at a gym or, you know, for most of human history, there has been, you know, kind of sweating ceremonies around the world, whether it's, you know, the Native American sweat lodges or the banyas in Russia or the jimjilbangs in Korea or, you know, the saunas in, you know, most of the Western world. And, you know, there is, interestingly enough, a euphoria that you get from going and sitting in a sauna for a really long time. Time. And it has to do with the fact that your heart is getting a workout. So even though you're just sitting there sweating and doing not very much, your body's freaking out because your body's like, this is very hot. I don't want to die of heat stroke. We need to get our sweat on. And you know, as I mentioned, the the way your body cools down is to swoosh blood um, across the surface of your skin. And so your heart is really pumping to get that hot blood from the interior out to the surface of your skin to be cooled by sweating and then to like cool down as it swooshes back in. And so even though you're not doing anything except relaxing, your heart is getting a mega workout. And, you know, if there's any health benefits to be had in a sauna and and so many of the health benefits that are made that are claimed by spas worldwide are utter hogwash. But one of the good things um, about going to a sauna is it's really good for your heart because your heart gets this workout. And as a result, you also get the happy chemicals that you sometimes get when you do, you know, when you run like the the runner's high because you're producing endorphins and epinephrine and other things that give you a kind of a happy feeling, a catharsis. And so I think to be honest that part of that detox myth comes because After you've sweat it out in a sauna or or through exercise, you have those happy hormones in your body that are making you think, oh, I feel so much better than before. I must have gotten all the crap out. And certainly you've probably managed to get crappy emotions out, just not actual crappy chemicals. Um, And so, yeah, it, it is good for your heart. And in fact, there's been this really great study out of Finland that looked at men who go into the sauna four times a week versus those that only go once a week. And this was a huge study over many, many years with a large cohort, like the things that we love when we want to trust uh, scientific results. And they found oh, that yes. these men, yeah, these men that go four times a week have lower incidence of cardiac arrest, of, of mortality, uh, uh, related to heart disease. Um, and so all these heart-related ailments get dialed down. And, and the researchers have extended that now to, to look at women uh, in a sauna. And, you know, it's probably the same result.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, you could also say that people who tend to use saunas tend to be in better shape anyway. I'm just being an evil person here. Well, there's that. <laughs> well,
1: you know, although I, I lived in Germany, and it's really interesting because, you know, sauna sweats are a lot more culturally common. Like, actually, one of the reasons I also wrote this book was I ended up living in Berlin for 11 years. And when I got there, I discovered that, you know, the way to embed yourself with, you know, the locals was to go to a sauna. And I, at the time, I'm like, what, why would I sweat for fun? Um, And then I went and experienced this catharsis. But when you're in a sauna, at least in Europe, um, you know, all sorts of bodies go there. Uh, And, you know, it's, even though it's not a workout, it is good for your heart. So, you know, I, I hope that everybody, um, you know, feels comfortable going to a sauna. It's not just the gorgeous, uh, ripped athletes, but you know, it's true. After a, a really hard workout, you kind of do want to relax in a sauna.
0: Oh, there's no question. What I remember from Germany and the rest of it, when I was there, uh, were the baths. And the baths were oft times associated with saunas. So Baden-Baden, for instance, and, and places like that where they have the springs, the natural springs, and the baths, and, and people once again collect. And it, they're people of all different sizes and shapes. And so you're not ne- necessarily just you know pulling off the uh, super ripped and um, athletic type bodies. It's a real cultural phenomenon, which is uh, kind of interesting. So um, then the question to you is um, the difference between the sweat you get from a, and I think there was a quote from your book that was really cool about this, um, what you get from a uh, wet sauna versus a dry sauna. So, you know, all that moisture on you um, when you go into a wet sauna is actually what?
1: Well, some of it is sweat, but a whole bunch of that is the steam um, from, you know, the hot air that's all around. Because you know if you think about it, when you go into either a steam sauna or if you go into a dry sauna and they pour water on the rocks and there's a, a pulse of steam creating like a lot of water vapor, in that hot space, your body is actually the coolest thing. And so water kind of condenses on your body like steam from a kettle on a, a cold window in, in winter. And so when you go into one of these steam baths or, or when you're in a sauna and they're pouring water on and there's like all this steam and suddenly you look at your body and it appears that, you know, the floodgates have opened and you are literally pouring uh, liquid off your body, certainly some of that is sweat, but a good chunk of it is actually condensation. It's that hot steam condensing on your relatively cool body compared to everything else in the sauna. Um, and so, yeah, you don't have to completely terrify yourself that you're, you're dehydrating. Um,
0: some of that is just condensate. All right. So are people attracted to each other by their sweat? Well, pop culture would certainly, um,
1: tell you that. (laughs) So, you know, it's a really great question because of course, um, our body odor kind of hits a peak in in adolescence and then kind of continues on right and so because um we get stinky at the point where we're becoming sexually mature researchers have often wondered you know is there a link like is that body odor related to you know our desire to find a, a partner or a mate and you know up until now, we've been talking about sweat, uh, about that salty liquid fluid that helps us cool down. But there is another. There, we have other sweat glands um, that appear in armpits uh, at puberty. And it's interesting because that sweat is not watery or salty at all. It's more like earwax. It's very waxy. and. You know, the good news is when it emerges from your armpits, it's actually pretty odorless, but it's the bacteria that are eating that waxy sweat that turn your armpits into stink zones because they're metabolizing that waxy sweat and effectively kind of pooping out um, your odor. So good news, you're not really responsible for your stink, bad news it's bacterial poop so yeah i'll I'll leave you to decide where you fall on the good news bad news spectrum but because as you point out we are smelly (laughs) we are smelly creatures um how much of that is involved in finding love and you know scientists have found that we are sniffing each other so most human greetings involve proximity of some kind, like think of a cheek kiss, a hug, or bowing, or a handshake, which is literally a hands-on collection of another person's body secretions. And uh, actually, my favorite study perhaps is this one done out of Israel where they videotaped people meeting for the first time. And after you handshake with this new person, you surreptitiously sniff that hand, Afterwards, and it's an unconscious thing, so much so that the study subjects accuse the scientists of like faking the videos because they couldn't believe they were doing no this. No
0: way! Seriously, I know,
1: I know this has literally ruined handshakes for me, um, but it has improved. <laughs> like watching, like people watching at parties and conferences and like public events where you see people handshake, you're just like, when are they gonna sniff? Are they gonna? They sniffed. Um, so yeah. So we are actually smelling each other and we are learning stuff from that odor. So, you know, parents, for example, can identify their newborns uh, just hours after birth and siblings who haven't seen each other for years can identify their brother or sister just from that body odor. And, you know, all sorts of other interesting things um, come out like anxiety. We can sniff anxiety on other people. But of course you asked about love and
0: you know, it's complicated. I mean, come on, are there some, <laughs> are, are there some pheromones in there? Come on now. Come on. I know, I know, well, I've been delaying.
1: So here's here's the deal. So we are probably sniffing others and deciding who we want to be with based on that. There's this great t-shirt study by Klaus Vedekind who had a bunch of uh, straight men wear these t-shirts, and then uh, ask straight women to sniff them. And and a lot of these studies, I got to say, are done on like, you know, the cisgender, you know, straight population. There's not like a reflection of the greater Uh diversity of human sexuality and and gender identity. But okay, for the purposes of this study, so the women are told to sniff the stinky t-shirts worn by these men, and they're told to rate their, you know, attractiveness um, just based on the body odor. And what's really interesting is they found that the women found men to be most attractive when any progeny that that couple would have together would have an extremely robust, strong immune system. And so you know if you think about it, that makes sense. For, for most of human history, uh, pathogens have been humanity's greatest foe, whether it's like an infection or a plague. And so it behooves us to pick a partner to have babies with that um, is going to, you know produce babies that will survive. But you know, that notion that you know we're sniffing others and, and you know picking partners that have good immune system, immune systems, kind of goes in contrast to the pop culture notion of, oh, baby, you know, I picked you um, and, you know, I, I'm just going <laughs> to spritz this, you know, cologne, or I'm just going to lift my armpits and you're going to make a beeline to me, which is kind of, you know, so it's probably a consequence of the fact that in the animal kingdom, there are, you know, animals, whose pheromones do that like bombacol which is the silkworm moss pheromone all a woman or female moth needs to do is like, release that into the wild and all the dudes nearby make an immediate beeline towards her. It's like the animal kingdom's definition of a booty call, right? Release odor, get dudes. I love it, Yeah,
0: love um, it.
1: Or like <laughs> the pigs, like I love pig pheromones because uh, the, the male has it in his saliva. And so all he needs to do is like, approach a, a female in heat and breathe heavily on her and she will automatically swing around oh, get out and here. like lift her rump to <laughs> make the like universal signal that yes let's let's get it on so you know those kind of automaton responses you know there's nothing like that that any scientist has managed to pluck out of the hundreds of molecules coming out of, of, you know, human armpits, which is not to say that like online entrepreneurs haven't tried to like sell supposed fake uh, human pheromone cologne to, to people. But what really cracks me up is that many of these like snake oil, human pheromone colognes that you can buy have, um, actually bore pheromones in them. They they claim to have androstenol and androstenone in them. And although these molecules are found in uh, the human armpit odor, it's found in both male and female odors. So it's, you know, usually pheromones are produced by one biological sex to attract the other or to, you know, elicit a sexual activity with the other. And so, you know, the fact that humans have them no matter what your biological sex in kind of negates it as a potential pheromone. But, it is a boar pheromone and so these colognes that typically you know dudes buy to get a lady they will get a lady it's just not going to be a human lady it will be a boar and so like
0: go for a dude but you know no judgment (laughs) but yeah um bad idea no you turn around there's boars, (laughs) you know following you and you're like Wow, that's really random. I wonder where these boars came from. Oh God, that's hysterical. I actually
1: bought some cologne online because I'm weird like that. And I did a little experiment. So I used to live in Berlin and um, they have a ton of boars in the suburbs. In fact, like it's a serious problem. Like the boars, you like lift up your car, you know, trunk to bring in groceries. You come back for the second load and there's a boar in there eating your, you know, breakfast cereal. So they have like boars everywhere. so I hung this really large stuffed animal and spritzed it with pheromone cologne and set up like infrared cameras to catch what animals came to sniff this. And I did actually catch a boar coming to sniff this. Um, this It was actually a stuffed anteater. It's really hard to get a, a stuffed animal that's large enough and kind of shaped like a boar. Cause I was trying to like attract a boar with this pheromone cologne. I did. Um, and I caught what, it on what? video. There are no stuffed boars <laughs> out I'm there? I'm sure uh, your readers, or your listeners, sorry, are gonna find find a stuffed boar and be like, why didn't you buy it? I have to admit, I also um, got the stuffed anteater for free. Uh, and I thought, you know, I don't think I want to, you know, spend a huge amount of money buying a new one. So I I, I looked a little bit and I found a few tiny boars, but I never found a really big one. So anyway, but yeah, it. it Honestly, don't buy that pheromone cologne unless you're weird and want to do kind of experiments in the you know
0: suburbs of Berlin. Okay, that's just plain bizarre. So, (laughs) sorry, I'm weird. Love it. (laughs) I know. I just you know why is it when you eat certain things, um, your your sweat then changes its smell? Okay, so what if you eat maybe like a lot of curry, a lot of uh, garlic, a lot of you know. Uh, does it change or are you just smelling other things?
1: No, I think it does because, you know,
0: all these molecules that are swirling around in
1: your circulatory system, right, they just happen to be there. And if you eat a huge amount of garlic or have a hard night of drinking, right, you're going to have those molecules in your blood system, right? Because they've been absorbed by the intestine and are swirling around. And so, you know, they're, they're there. And so they're going to percolate out in your sweat, just like I mean, there's this crazy case of this woman who ate so many corn chips, there were tomato spicy tomato corn chips that she actually turned her, her sweat red again, incidentally, because she was no, eating. Oh yeah. No, she had an crazy. obsessive predilection. So she's like eating 45 bags a week. Um, okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. And so, you know, yeah, that yeah. those pigment molecules that just the coloring from, from those chips was swirling around in her, her bloodstream and, you know, percolating out just because she was eating so many of them so you know just in the same way that you know a hard night of hummus is going to make you smell a little garlicky um you know that's that's all that, that everything that's in your blood can come out you know so you know other vices actually can be detected right so chemists are, are now starting to figure out hey let's start analyzing sweat and not just you know trying to like make its odor or presence go away let's see what's there so that you know smartwatches of the future could you know analyze your sweat and say oh I see some alcohol and send you a little ping saying, hey, probably not good to drive home tonight after the bar, maybe take a cab or athletes who, you know, wanna exercise aerobically or train anaerobically, right? Like whether you're training for a marathon or a sprint. Um, And you can tell whether you're training aerobically or anaerobically by looking at lactate levels in sweat. So, you know, there's these sweat patches that people are developing that are like band-aids with electronics. And, you know, they'll speak to smartphones or or smartwatches. So there's this whole new era coming where we're going to be actually analyzing all the chemicals coming out in our sweat and maybe even diagnosing some diseases because biomarkers of some cancers for example also percolate out in sweat just because you know it's that liquidy part of blood. So anything happening on the inside is going to come out
0: I just think that's fascinating, um, especially the sweat patches, um, communicating with AI, basically, um, artificial intelligence, um, and being able to help you understand uh, certain aspects about your, your health, um, good, bad, and otherwise. Um, I think that that makes all the sense in the world because it, it, it's a reflection of what's going on inside of you. Um, So why shouldn't it? I I just find that utterly fascinating. Now I want to pivot real quickly to the whole world of the multi-billion dollar industry for deodorants and antiperspirants and humanity's long quest to control sweat. Go for it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's, really interesting because you know this is a 75 billion dollar industry that's for deodorants and antiperspirants and a hundred years ago nobody was buying them um it's really something that has you know come out of the 20th century in part because there was this uh woman uh named edna murphy who had a product called odor oh no which you know effectively put the fear of sweat in America, thanks to uh, a really smart copywriter for an advertising firm she had hired. So Odorono was an antiperspirant and antiperspirants work by plugging the pores in your armpits, effectively cutting off the buffet of sweaty food that those bacteria in your armpits want to eat and then turn into stink. Whereas deodorants work by being effectively antiseptics, right? They are killing the bacteria in your armpits at least for a time. And so that bacteria can't dine on your sweat and turn it into stink. And so Edna Murphy back in the 1919s had this product. She had actually got it from her dad who was a surgeon and he had really sweaty hands and was worried about dropping surgery tools into patients during the hot summer months when he was cutting into people, and so had developed this antiperspirant that stopped his hands from sweating. And she was like, "Hey." Hands, why not armpits? And so she tries to sell this product, and nobody wants to buy it because, you know, it's kind of the end of the Victorian era. Everybody's still kind of very embarrassed about bodily functions. And, you know, no pharmacist wants to put these products out on their shelves. And also, nobody thinks they need it because at the time, and actually for most of human history, we've controlled our body odor through a mix of either soap and water by washing and or, you know, putting on a bit of perfume to complement or overwhelm our body odor. And so, you know, in the 1919s, everybody thinks that's fine enough. Thanks very much. And uh, she really, 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 really wants her product to sell. So she goes to um, a New York advertising firm called J. Walter Thompson who has just hired this former traveling Bible salesman named James Webb and he comes up with this idea which he puts in Ladies Home Journal and it's this like beautiful picture of a a woman and her arm and it says in the curve of a woman's arm and it kind of goes on to say that you know the the curve should be this beautiful thing but it's not. It's stinky. Uh, you're you're making a horrible social faux pas. People are talking about you and gossiping about you. And worst of all, it's going to keep you from getting a husband. So it's 1919, right? And so many readers of Ladies Home Journal were this advertising of advertisement appeared uh, were offended and they actually canceled their subscriptions. But a whole lot more women were deeply impacted and started buying odor oh no. And soon all the products uh, that are, you know, all these burgeoning deodorant and antiperspirants start using the same strategy. Um, it's called whisper copy. And it effectively is, you know, making, threatening social isolation. It's manufactured humiliation, right? That if you smell, this is going to completely ruin your, yeah, your ability to exist in society. And, you know, initially they target women. And then by the, you know, 1930s, they've, been so successful at getting women to buy these products that they, they've kind of maxed out on profits. And they're like, oh, we really want to you know keep improving our products. And they, they start looking for other markets. They're like, dudes, dudes also smell. And it's the 30s. And so at the time, men are anxious about having a job because of the depression and so their strategy utilizes the same kind of themes that people are going to be talking about you behind your back but here the the thing the threat is not that you're you're not going to get married but that that you're going to lose your job or you're not going to get promoted that you're not going to be successful in the boardroom because i guess at the time that was the thing they thought were the greatest fears for, for men and you know, it worked for them too. And now it's, you know, part of our daily ablutions, right? Many people in the Western world, especially in North America, um, put on deodorant or antiperspirant every day.
0: So what do you do? (laughs) I, I, What do the experts do? That's what we (laughs) want to know.
1: I do a mix, right? So, um, you know, sometimes if I'm really nervous, I don't want to have sweaty, patches under my armpits. Right. I, I don't want that to happen. So I will sometimes put on antiperspirant, but you know, if I'm doing a workout, uh, where I am going to sweat no matter what, and it's going to be a lot, uh, putting on antiperspirant, just seems kind of ridiculous and, and I'll rely on deodorant. So it's a bit of a mix match
0: situation for me. How interesting. And so is it okay if your sweat doesn't have a smell to it much of any smell?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, it it, it depends on what you define as, you know, good, right? So, you know, we do smell each other and learn stuff about each other. And so, you know, there's a question about whether all these products are effectively cutting off our ability to learn about others through our noses, to learn yes, their, their that's what I'm body thinking. odor print, right? So, I have a body odor print, it's slightly different from yours. Um, I have like a symphony of molecules that, you know, define me as me. There are like top notes. So human body odor has these two chemicals. One smells kind of like a, a goat and the other one smells like raw onion meats over overripe tropical fruit. And these two top notes are common in most armpit odor. And it's what allows you to figure out that it was a stinky human in that elevator before you rather than a stinky dog or, or horse or or some other animal. And but even though we have these two top notes all of us do um, there's hundreds of other molecules that kind of like round out our you know our personal aroma and allow a dog to for example track me versus track you when they have a you know, a t-shirt of mine.
0: Absolutely. So are we stopping
1: oh, yeah. to, you know, are, are we failing or reducing our ability to like learn these identifying smells that perhaps cause or encourage social cohesion? Are we by blocking our body odor, you know, blocking off social cues like anxiety, which might help us, you know, react differently to people um, who we observe to be nervous? Um, Are they interfering with our ability to sniff out the right partner for us or at least uh, for you know if we want to have children? So there's all sorts of things you know that make me wonder whether over the last hundred years we've really dialed down um, the communication that we do. By noses, and then of course with the pandemic, um, it's kind of like the final nail in the coffin. We're all wearing masks. Uh, we're, we're keeping two meters away from each other if we can. Um, so yeah, perhaps we will eventually one day be just very much a visual uh, species because we're not close enough um, in many cases to to really sniff each other out for better or for worse i guess
0: (laughs) i just think that that's sad yeah
1: i do too i I think it's for worse i I agree
0: really you know what i mean yeah i do too
1: i just feel like it's such um it's so sad to, to lose this other um, arm, right? Visuals are great, but there's there's so much more to our senses, and yeah, it, I, I do feel saddened by that. Um, even though I think you know a lot of deodorant and antiperspirant marketers would see this as the actual goal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it was interesting um, when I went through medical school. Uh, I learned old school, you know, that uh, you should be able to utilize all of your senses, including smell, to be able to garner every ounce of information you humanly possibly can about that individual sitting in front of you with whatever medical issue they have long before you get any laboratory test back. So, smell, for me, was incredibly important I could smell gangrene I could smell you know different kinds of sweat um and after a while you get a really you know refined sense of smell when it comes to things like that but sweat was always important for me um in a big way um so just just fascinating um this whole issue of sweat everyone out there in the her podcast land We've been talking to Sarah Everts. She is the author of a book that I just think is the coolest ever. It's got a great sense of humor, tons of good science. She's highly credible um, as a scientist and a science writer herself. And the name of the book is The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science Behind Perspiration. Her website is Sarah. that's s a r a h e v e r t s dot com to learn more about her wonderful work, her other writing, as well as this fabulous book, which I just hope just sells a ton of them. And if I could be part of that, then that's good because i you know as as someone who loves to communicate science myself, I just love being able to know other people who are this good. So this is excellent. Fantastic. Well done to you. Sarah, one last um, quick uh, point of wisdom about all things sweat for our wonderful listeners as we close things up.
1: You know, I... Think that one of the reasons there's so much stigma about sweat is because it's so much out of our control, right? So if you think about other things that cause us embarrassment, other bodily functions like a fart or, or a burp. You can hold that back even just for a few moments and you know, go off to yourself. Whereas sweat is this thing that happens completely out of our control. And in this era of curated personas and, and curated images and, and social media, we really don't like uh, to have things out of our control. The thing is, is that sweat is out of all of our control and you know (laughs) it's this thing that is keeping us alive right it's just your body trying to modulate your temperature trying to make sure you don't overheat and die so i guess i really hope that you know we all find a little bit more um serenity rather than shame that we don't you know stigmatize others um when the floodgates open unexpectedly because Quite frankly, it can happen to anybody. So yeah, I, I, hope, I hope I have succeeded in, in giving a little bit of a perspiration pep talk.
0: Okay, oh, I love that. A perspiration pep talk, ah, I love it. Okay, again, out there, everyone, the book is The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science Behind Perspiration. And the author is Sarah Evert. And Sarah, thank you so much for being on the HER podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me and and for enjoying the book it's it's really been a pleasure
0: it's such a gift and everyone out there now you get a chance to run to itunes and rate and review the show because i love your feedback and i love it because i'm dr Pampi. i'm host of the herb podcast here follow me on facebook at dr Pampi or Twitter at PamPeakMD, or Instagram at PamPeakMD as well. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Thanks for listening today, and please stay safe and stay well.